Thank you for downloading this Desenio podcast. For more information, visit DesenioDaily.com. We hope you enjoy the program. When I first started Recite, this is a little story. Like I was teaching at a university in Prague uh, on a Fulbright fellowship, and I wanted to start a conference on urbanism, on making the city a better place to live. And I talked to the dean and the, the kind of vice dean or deputy dean about this idea, and I said, we want to invite the public and artists and other activists and with real estate developers and put all these people together to talk about the city and present projects from all of them. And the dean said, you know, urban planning is not a topic that should be discussed with the public. And I almost fell off my chair. This is just the way he thought that urban planning was like way too intellectual for, for the public. And I'm thinking like, you know, the user of the city is the one who sh- we should be listening to. So we, I wanted to kind of take this notion that like cities can only be thought about by the urban planners and explode it. My name is Martin Barry. I'm a landscape architect from New York City, um, and I'm the founder of Recite, also the chairman of the board of Recite, a nonprofit organization focused on uh, cities. I'm also the CEO and founder of Manifesto. My background is, is pretty diverse. I was trained as a historian, and uh, I have a business degree as well. Then I have a master's in landscape architecture. Before university and everything, I spent like years in construction and, and landscape design and these kinds of professions. So I, I, I kind of understand a diverse range of, of views on all of these issues. I was a landscape architect before I moved to Prague. Let's say for uh, eight years, I worked for W Architecture. When I reflected on this kind of work that I was doing, I thought, like, I want to get to a different level as an architect. I want to dig a little bit deeper um, than, than just designing spaces. I want to kind of like cause frictions and, and create conversations around how do we design the better city. And so that's what led me to kind of move from landscape architecture and public space design to then founding a nonprofit Recite. So I could kind of use this knowledge that I learned, you know, in, in, in business and, and, and public space design, landscape architecture, and apply it to kind of thinking about the city. Recite is described as a livable and lovable cities platform. So what we try to do is events and advocacy and media that sort of um, promotes the idea of a more livable and lovable place. Uh, And we focus all of that on design thinking. So design of public space, uh, of civic architecture, of, let's say, more equitable mobility, smarter mobility. All of the things that we sort of do every day in the city um, uh, that could be designed a little bit better. One of of the things we really care about is collaboration. I I feel like the, the, the city is better made through collaboration across really diverse disciplines. So it means like putting together people that normally wouldn't like to talk to each other about building the city. And so we put kind of architects with activists and activists with real estate developers and real estate developers with politicians uh, and the politicians with the architects and and with the environmentalists and the artists um, and the cultural actors. And we try to force a conversation that, that, again, they wouldn't normally have and wouldn't normally be comfortable with. But we feel like the best ideas for the city come out of friction. And, and that friction kind of can produce new ideas to, to make more livable, more, more lovable places, as we say. There is a lot of friction when you put these diverse and different groups together. I mean, these are opposing ideas. Like, for example, when you put an activist with a real estate developer, they're, they're not going to agree on many things. But at, when, when there's that friction, we can create something new. So the developer mo- most likely 
likely won't want to provide sort of extra resources or extra benefits for the city at large, like, you know, additional public space where he could put a building. But when you kind of create these conversations, he, he might find out that providing more public space could actually increase the real estate value of his building, which he might not have known previously, you know, before they studied it. So it kind of, these conversations force um, the different parties to kind of reflect on their, their opinions and their positions, hopefully put themselves in the shoes of the other party, um, and then sort of arrive at a collaboration or, or a middle ground, which we think is really essential in building a kind of equitable city. When you take a middle ground like I take on a lot of these issues, trying to put people together, you're not so popular, particularly in today's day and age. Like, it's really easy to sort of sit in one camp or the other. And we're even seeing it in political spectrums across the world right now. Like, you have to kind of pick a strong side and, and be the loudest voice on that stage if you're going to be heard. Um, I don't really agree with it. I mean, uh, I, I may have opinions like one way or the other, which would lean like most likely the left of almost every issue. But I don't think that's necessarily helpful. It's not going to help us progress to become a better society. It might be easier. Uh, like personally, it might be easier professionally to kind of stay in our corners. Um, but I don't think it's so productive. So I, I really think this is kind of a core, uh, let's say, discipline or a core mantra of, of what we do is, is kind of forcing collaboration where people might not normally be comfortable with it. And I get criticized for it a lot. You know, why did you invite ex-politician? You know, we only want you to invite the Green Party politicians or, you know. Uh, the Democrats or something like this. And, and you know, that's not such a f fun conversation for me to be on the losing end of. But uh, it doesn't really bother me so much because I know how essential this is, particularly in, in our day and age. You know, in Recite, we're focused on events. And, and events are always difficult because, like, in the last six or seven years, we've done something like 170 events, uh, including, like, eight flagship conferences, which are these big conferences we're doing in Prague, and then we'll move them around the world soon. Uh, we have another project which we're starting like uh, after the conference in September, which is uh, called Resonate. And Resonate's a, a project we started in in-house with the Mott Museum in Lisbon and also Meyer Sound in San Francisco. Um, and it's about sound and architecture. So we're kind of investigating uh, sound and architecture in in concert halls, in public space, uh, you know, in buildings, and, and how does sound and, and architecture interact, and how can we kind of create better audible environments for people. So it's also about kind of quality of life, um, because most people don't think about sound, they think about noise. Uh, and so noise is bad, right? But when it's good sound, you don't really think about it. You just think it's natural, like it should be like that. But it's actually quite difficult to create good sound and good acoustic environments like in the city, which is often a very noisy uh, place to be, um, or in buildings like concert halls. So we, we're going to start investigating this and, and probably do an event um, in 2020, again, uh, called Resonate. And we're talking about doing it in San Francisco and maybe even doing it in Asia. The reason, one of the reasons I started Recite in Prague was because when I came here as a Fulbright Fellow teaching at the university, I, I found that there wasn't really much of a discussion on how to create a better city. And there was this kind of classic silos of information and classic silos of disciplines that weren't talking to each other. And so we wanted to kind of create a platform locally that where people could kind of discuss the future of the city together. Um, across disciplines and uh, that's improved remarkably in the last six years since we started uh, there's still a problem with that there's still you know this is it takes generations for people to understand how to kind of uh, talk and live with each other we we're still like seeing that there's you know we need to do a better job of forcing 
um, let's say, richer conversations between the private sector, the public sector, and the civic sector. The city also struggles with kind of, let's say, international awareness of like the, the most contemporary development practices or architecture practices. So um, you still see a lot of developers building stuff like the, that is really poor quality, low quality for a city that is one of the kind of wealthiest in, in Europe. So I think like there's still an education curve, you know, that, that people are going through, which isn't like totally unique to Prague, right? I think every city has uh, these kinds of challenges in the States or in, in Asia or uh, anywhere, basically. You know, when we choose the topic of a conference every year, it's, uh, it's really hard to describe exactly um, why you choose a certain, certain conference. It's hard to give in tidbits because it happens over years of research and, and many hours of, of discussion. So I always have a hard time answering this question. Um, but Regenerate for us kind of grew out of like several years of, of conferences um, where we saw one of the core themes was was about regenerating space and then it this this conversation kind of accelerated for us internally because we did it uh like as an organization we started a new company um manifesto market and we opened uh two locations in the last like 12 months which were on uh one a former parking lot where we are today and one was a brownfield and former rail yards in the center of the city which were, that was derelict for like, you know, 40 years. There was nothing going on there. It was mostly a place for kind of drugs and, and um, other activities, which m most people would consider I illicit. And so we, we created something new there where we've actually seen like over a million people um, go to that, that location in the last like uh, 12 months um, and have fun, listen to music, watch films, you know, eat food, and, and it became a community space. So that was a regeneration project, which we didn't really know that's what we were doing, of course, until you look back on it. But I think then the, the topic of uh, regenerate kind of accelerated when we did that. We said, like, well, this is interesting. Like, who else has done this on a small scale? Uh, who's done it on a large scale or like the mega scale, which we're presenting? Uh, and then what's in between? Like, what about regenerating our lives uh, and, and our health? When you talk about re regeneration or regenerate as a theme, you, you always have to deal with the topic of gentrification. In fact, I would say every single thing we've, we've done in the last six, seven years, we've had to, to deal with uh, negative and positive impacts of, of gentrification, whether you're talking about like new housing, um, uh, new forms of housing like co-living, new types of transportation and mobility like added bike lanes to regenerating sites like we did by creating kind of a food and culture place. Uh, the criticism ultimately comes like you're gentrifying this for only the wealthy or only the young. And I think there's there's valid criticism in some some of that. But, you know, I was talking to Prague Kana a, a couple, like maybe a year ago about these issues. And, and we said, like, ultimately what Prague said is like, you know, by and large, when you kind of squint and you look at the data over the last 20 years, you know, the waters lifted all boats, you know, like the, the generally by and large, like uh, cities are improving in the way and, and the lives of, our, of us are improving in cities. But on a micro scale, you start to see that, that there are kind of disparities. There's there's kind of there's another argument where a lot of people are being left behind. So we deal we try to deal with that. So like when we talk about housing last year, we talked about affordable housing. We talked about alternative housing, like new co-living movements and student living movements. And so we're trying to, to deal with projects and present projects that are incorporating like multiple aspects um, into them. When you talk about regeneration, you, you, have to, you have to understand who the projects are impacting and, and whether there's equal impact across all economic or all social uh, brackets. 
And so we try to find projects that are doing that. We do urban games and, and we, we organize runs and we do, like this year we're doing yoga. We do these things because uh, it's exactly as I said earlier. We want to kind of break down the walls of the intellectual discussion about cities and get out in the city and use it. You know, the city is here for us to use. So uh, how are we going to use it? You know, I, I like to run it so or ride my bike. So we've done like countless bike rides. Um, we've done a couple of runs. We are doing, like I said, yoga. We do concerts and parties in uh, public or semi-public spaces. Um, we've done dance lessons, films. Um, all these kind of more public activities uh, are really fun for us because it kind of opens the conversation to lots of other people that wouldn't normally like buy a ticket to a conference. You know, it sounds kind of boring ultimately. But to go dance in one of the most famous uh, piazzettas in, in a city, that, that sounds fun. Or, or see a free film, like we show free films at all of our uh, locations, manifesto locations, or have free DJs. Like this kind of stuff like opens a conversation, you know, even if it's not particularly about talking about cities. If it's organized by a famous architect, you know, or, or a famous urbanist that's coming into town that also likes to run, that, that's, that's also great to have her or he kind of leading this kind of other activity, but people, all of a sudden, they get to know an architect that they might, might not have met before. So it's all about kind of opening the conversation. It's a really quite simple. So how do you go from ideas to action? It's, you know, I came from a field of action. Like we were always uh, employed to design something and then supervise the construction of that thing. So I was always seeing things be built in, in several countries. And so I'm always kind of aimed at, at uh, discussing projects which have really been built. You know, we don't just discuss, you know, living on Mars or, or something. We, we're, we're discussing real kind of best case practices, best case examples, um, and highlighting them so that we can learn from them, uh, good things and bad. And so you need to kind of like follow up on this. So we follow up on it with uh, our media. So we're kind of constantly creating media, like lectures, uh, essays, interviews, um, to kind of push these ideas further into the public uh, knowledge. And so that's helpful. Um, but then you have to get willing partners. So, uh, you know, Jeanette Sadakan, the former transportation commissioner of New York City, who is responsible for kind of building hundreds of miles of bike lanes with Mayor Bloomberg when she was in office, um, she said, Martin, you know, you've got to get the everyone behind you. You've got to get the, particularly the business people behind you, because if they support it, then the politicians will have to support it. So you can be the kind of uh, activist, but you've got to get everyone else to kind of help you. And so this is where collaboration comes into play. Right. So we we work uh, with partners that are um, that are building the city. And so they're able to kind of help set best example, best cases um, when they build. If not now, then like five, 10 years from now, we hope that their projects will be much better. And with the other people, you just have to keep keep pressing, you know, with the, you got to keep pressing developers and keep pressing politicians because when times get tough, they'll ultimately cut all the things that make their projects better. And so you got to make them believe that like, it's not about just like making the projects, you know, better, but it has to be core to what they believe in. And that takes time, you know, that's why I never thought this would be a one year mission or a one year event. You know, this is, I hope we'll be here in 50 years saying, you know, we look at all the things that have been impacted by what we've talked about. We know it's worked in Prague because there's there's like several institutions that the city has started, um, like a center for architecture and metropolitan planning, which is open to the public, where people can come see public projects or uh, sorry projects being built by developers or the city. 
it's like an exhibition center and film center and lecture center. They built this after Resite started. The city also created a new metropolitan plan, setting out new kind of planning principles for the city, which are more akin to cities like Vienna or Copenhagen or Amsterdam. The city also created a new strategic plan, a new public space manual, new architectural guidelines, all sort of on par with like other, uh, other European cities, which are much more sustainable, much more modern building practices. These are all direct impacts from what we've done. So how do you get this, these kind of conversations outside the echo chamber? You know, if you read one of the first kind of values documents that I wrote for Resite, like back when I founded the organization, I said, like, we want to break down the conference walls. We, from the very beginning, people have always said, like, you know, you've got to stomp your hands on the table more. You have to be more of an activist. You have to bark more. And if I described us as barking, you know, in our previous discussion, it was wrong. We're not, we're not really barking or yelling at anybody because we don't think that's our job. Uh, we're not activists. You have to pick only one side if you're an activist, right? And we're trying to kind of bring the conversation together. We're trying to mediate. Uh, I think we're much better mediator than we are at slamming our hands on the table. I think listening is like one of the core elements of what's important in building the city and it's like a relationship, right? You have to kind of like listen to what your partner wants and try to, you know, try to understand it and try to give back. Like in, in design or architecture, you have to understand what your product engineer is saying, uh, even though you might not be an engineer, right? You have to kind of listen to what he's telling you and then help him find a solution or help her find a solution. There's a huge problem in the conversation or let's say the dichotomy between rural communities and cities. Um, now, I think we're seeing it in, across the political spectrum in almost every country with uh, democratic and free elections. Uh, rural communities feel isolated. They feel like people from cities don't know what their life is like. And most politicians at the national stage or like uh, state level, uh, they're, they're from cities, right? They're more metropolitan, cosmopolitan. People in rural communities obviously um, feel left out of this conversation. They feel like we don't, you know, people from cities are, don't know what their lives are like, so they don't want to be told how to live it. Um, at the same time, access to jobs is a real problem. So people in rural communities with the new economy, are, obviously we're losing a lot of uh, agrarian rural opp opportunities for work because the economy is changing so fast. And as jobs become so-called smarter or high-tech communities that are not really well trained to or, or actively training to participate in, in the new economy uh, are having a hard time accessing it number one and and feeling included in, in it uh, in society number two at the same time people are leaving rural communities most people like when the jobs dry up they're leaving uh, and therefore you have just kind of older or more disadvantaged people left behind this creates a huge problem between cities where people are migrating around the world. Um, they're moving to cities because we believe that cities can improve our lives. We move here for a better job, better access to sell our goods or services. We want to raise our kids around other people who, you know, in my case, I'd love to raise my kid around people who speak other languages because he'll sort of be a little bit more worldly than I was. And so we want to improve our lives and then our, the lives of the next generation. So we move to cities. How are we solving that? We're not, by and large. You know, no one has a plan to solve that. Some things in Europe uh, and North America 
some policies are being implemented to bring, let's say, higher skilled um, uh, manufacturing, higher skilled um, education to rural communities so that we can kind of re-employ people who used to work in mines or in agriculture. Those kind of retrainings are super important for rural communities, but they're not, there's not enough like, time or money being spent on this. I think it's important that commu- like community needs to be an important part of wherever we live. And, and um, I think that that's the case in rural communities or, or rural places and, and urban places. You know, we have to feel part of a community in order to, to love it, in order to kind of feel proud of it and not feel threatened by others because we're kind of part of something that has maybe a larger mission. Um, I think that's, that's incredibly important. And Recite tries to do that. We try to kind of talk about places that create a sense of community that can make people feel proud. And it's as relevant, like I said, in urban centers or in, in rural places. So that, that should be a thread that we talk about. How do you create community no matter the scale? You know, I live in the center of Prague, which from most people's perspective would say like, that's crazy, you know? They think Prague is too big and like too busy. I'm from New York City, so the center of Prague is, is like a, kind of like a village, you know, in a, in a fun way, you know. It's really pleasant to live there compared to living in Manhattan. In the center of Prague, when you, when you actually look at the, the numbers, there's actually about 200 people that live in, in like a two-block radius of where I live. So I live in a village, in fact. You know, like it, it's busy with people and there's a lot of businesses around and, and a lot of tourists and things. But there's like 200 or 300 residents in, in you know, the two or three blocks in which, which I live. Uh, so I live in a community. I live in a village, you know, in the center of the city. So the scale of the place doesn't really matter. One of the things that we liked to, to expand beyond the walls of Recite was, was this idea of kind of uh, collaboration and community. So we see the manifesto locations that we, we then built outside of the Recite platform. Uh, we see these as com- kind of community spaces, particularly the one that we're in right now is in a, a residential district um, um, of Prague 5. And we see it as a kind of new community hub in, in the city because um, in this district, there's not so much where people love to gather. There's like a couple shopping malls and like highly commercialized spaces that don't really provide a sense of community. We're doing this project with like free events three or four nights a week you know films and music and these kind of events we learned how to do with Recite as our conference and nonprofit platform we've did hundreds of them in public space or in in conference venues bringing the same kind of know-how to manifesto and the same kind of cultural interactions to to manifesto we we created in our other location this long table it's maybe like 20 meter long table and this table goes right down the middle of this kind of so-called food street and Almost everyone that I told, even the designer of the furniture, that I wanted to put these tables together and create this really long kind of communal table, they said like, hey man, like, you know, maybe nice in a French garden or in Tuscany uh, for a wedding, but like, it's not going to work in Prague. People don't want to sit next to each other. Twelve months later, like, guess where the, the most popular place to sit at Manifesto is? It's at this table. You know, you can't find a seat there right now in the afternoon or tonight. Like, forget it. People really want to sit together. Um, they, they might not inherently think that, but then, like, you sit down next to somebody from another city or another part of town or another country, and you say, like, oh, well, like, what are you eating? You know, is it tacos or are you eating, like, some fish? Like, where'd you get that? And you start to then, and food then becomes a really interesting cultural medium because it could kind of like open conversations that wouldn't normally exist, particularly with curious people. And so I'm really kind of happy that we did this. We kind of defied everyone that said, no, don't do this. And I forced it through. And 
now it's really popular. People love to talk to each other at these tables and meet each other. And I'm just waiting for like, you know, the first person to write us and say like they, they met at our table and they they have five kids, you know, they're living in like Wisconsin now or something. <laughs> You've been listening to a Desenia podcast. For more podcasts, visit desenyadaily.com.